Welcome back to another episode of Here by the Owl podcast. We're with our biggest fan, Whitney Landman. <laughs> um, we've, we've mentioned Whitney so many times in podcast episodes, and she's here with us finally. It's the such myth, an honor to be here. The myth, the legend, Whitney <laughs> Landman. Uh, but we recently attended a Lab Days professional development hosted by our friend Tam, and each egg teacher got to bring different labs to showcase and we loved Whitney's and she's going to share it with us today. So buckle up because this feeds, she has no fancy name. So by the end of this podcast, we also have to figure out like a cool fancy name for her, but animal science feeds ration lesson. So before we get into that, Whitney, will you introduce yourself and tell our listeners about your program? Absolutely. So my name is Whitney Landman. I teach at Laramore High School in Laramore, North Dakota. Uh, we're on the eastern side of North Dakota, a pretty small town, um, about 1,200 people. We have 150 kids in high school and 40 FFA members and kids in agricultural education. A fun fact about Laramore FFA is we are the oldest active chapter in North Dakota. That is a quiz question every year. Um, that my kids always get right. <laughs> um, so I teach six different classes each year, everything from seventh through 12th grade, and just try to give a pretty broad um, experience in agricultural education to students who enroll. Awesome. So Whitney, why don't you tell us a little bit about your activity that you brought to lab days, kind of a description of it. Right, okay, so I um, chose the activity. Um, it would come after we talk about balancing feed rations for livestock, so learning about the Pearson Square. Um, and I wanted to get kids um, more engaged in the lesson and less me just talking on and on about it. So um, my lab is based on that and then um, feeds processing as well. So just a quick overview. Um, Basically, we learn how to do the Pearson Square. We complete a Pearson Square um, as a class, and then um, we make a feed ration, uh, actually physically make one in class based on their calculations. The fun part about it, or what I think is the fun part about it, is the ingredients that we use for the um, ration that we make. So um, for an example, uh, in the Pearson Square, we might say wheat and corn is what we're gonna make, but I don't have any wheat or corn. So instead I brought olives and M&Ms, okay? Olives are now wheat, M&Ms are now corn. Um, and so then based on that, um, we balance it out, like I said, and then we actually make the ration using those M&Ms and olives. Um, from there, um, I would discuss with students then if you were going to sit down and eat this on a plate, which we actually like sit it on a plate, what would you pick out first? I myself would only eat the M&Ms. I would not touch the olives. And then kids would, we'd have that discussion and we'd talk about how can we make sure that the animals get all of the feed that we mix for them. And um, we kind of brainstorm and usually someone will say you should grind it up 
And so then we do. We put the olives and the M&Ms in a coffee grinder and we grind it up and put that out on a plate and see if you could pick it apart. <laughs> so how do you decide how many M&Ms versus olives to use? I know you said you have the ration planned out. So when you get done, what does it look like? And then how do they decide? Because they're obviously not using, you know, 15 pounds of peanut butter M&Ms. Right, right. So um, I obviously have it all planned out, you know, the numbers wise beforehand. Um, to get our pounds of quote-unquote wheat, our pounds of quote-unquote corn, um, or, you know, our olives and our M&Ms. I always just say one piece equals a pound. So, like, one M&M equals one pound. So then when they have their end ration and they have, you know, 15 pounds of olives, they count out 15 olives, and 12 pounds of M&Ms, they count out 12 M&Ms. So no, I would never buy 15 pounds of olives. <laughs> but you would buy 15 pounds of M&Ms. Correct, yes. If you need it for this lab, quote, heavy quotations, you use 15 of them, and then you stash them in your teacher desk. Correct, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so w explain to us like, the reaction that kids have with this, because it's kind of a dull topic, for kids and if they're not if they don't come from production agriculture it might not be the most engaging topic so what are their reactions as you're moving through this lab right exactly like you said so a lot of my students like i said um we're on the eastern side of north dakota it's all cropland we have no livestock around here very few people so it's i had to get this so kids would buy in and engage um, so first of all, like anytime food's involved, I feel like that ups the level of engagement and kids are more excited um, and those kinds of things, how, how they react. So the key is you can't show the coffee grinder before you actually grind the stuff too. That's always fun. So um, you get a lot of grossed out comments um, before and then after you grind it up, it's usually pretty fun. Um, a lot of times some, you know, there's always going to be a kid that wants to try it and they can sure go ahead in my books, I guess. I would never do that. That happened in our egg teacher group too. Right. So yeah, if it's going to happen to adults, kids are going to want to eat it. <laughs> right. And I'll say I was one of them and it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I don't know if I believe <laughs> you. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it takes that, you know, topic that sometimes kids can't relate to and those kinds of things and makes it more relatable. And that's too then where we dive into, um, so if you balance this ration for a certain amount of protein and they pick out pieces, they're not gonna get that correct thing. And then you can relate it back to them as well. You know, if olives, I know they aren't exactly a protein source, but let's say they are. So olives have this much protein and you pick them out, you're losing that amount of nutrition. So it's kind of a way to relate um, to more students as opposed to ones that just, you know, are interested in that production agriculture side. I think even relating it a little bit to, um, like, household pets, too. I know I shared this at lab days, but I've had to give my cats, like, medicine before. And if it's a pill, I try putting it in their wet cat food. And that might work for the first two days, but then they get really smart. And then that's the last thing left on the plate is just that that pill that they're supposed to be taking. Um, so, I mean, that's another way too, if you have students who might not have that production background to kind of relate it to maybe a cat or a dog that they might have at home. Absolutely. 
And then to Whitney, do you want to share how you introduce the topic, like how you kind of bring that engagement from the beginning of the lesson for that day? Right. So like I did at lab days, kind of the beginning is um, I give or break the students into groups. Um, I have them make sure that one person in the group really feels confident using the Pearson square. I give them a marker board and they solve the problem. Um, so kind of getting that mystery um, and all that. And before that, I even forgot that part. So um, I'm doing the NAAE virtual book study with Teach Like a Pirate with Dave Burgess. And so he talks a lot about hooks. So I think my big hook at the beginning um, is gonna be, we'll talk about their objectives for the day as usual. And then I'm gonna say my objective for the day is not to throw up. And hopefully kids will get a little more into it as well then. And then we would break up into those groups and solve the problems and then go through um, the whole activity. And then obviously the whole point of me not throwing up is they know I hate olives. <laughs> so that's kind of where that comes from. What is a good group number when you, when you do this? Is this groups of three, four, two? What do you like to do? I've done different numbers based on my classes. Um, and you can make it work with larger groups. I would say smaller is better. So I would say I would cap at three or four at the absolute most. Um, you can do one and two, that, that's good. And that gives kids a little more confidence than two in their math and those kinds of things. Um, if you have a really big class and you break up into too many groups, it could take a lot of time to grind your feed. Um, so maybe just grind up one group or two groups and kind of see, um, see the differences and those kinds of things too. If you get too many, it takes a lot of time and your coffee grinder gets a little warm. So what is, I mean, this is kind of off topic from your, your activity, but if you were to share one of your favorite grouping strategies, what's one of your go-to fun ones that you use in your classroom that people can take away from listening today? My favorite grouping strategy, um, I always have kids line up in the back or the front of the room and in a certain order. So, and I have um, like a spinning wheel. So it chooses the order that they line up in. So it might be by height or by um, birthdays in like January to December or like birthdays, who's the oldest or um, those kinds of things. And that way I can kind of break them up as well. Count them off then, you know, if I want groups of three or four, whatever. And then that way too, sometimes you can sneak in and get your groups how you want them based on how your kids are lined up and change that up a little as well too. Cause you know, your kids and you know who works well and those kinds of things too. What age group do you do this lab with? I do my animal nutrition or unit with my intro to egg. So my freshman students is who I do this with, but I could see it working as a smaller activity um, maybe with a, some younger grades, just kind of a, they wouldn't necessarily have to do the math part of it. Um, it could work with them and then you couldn't advance it and use it for your older students as well too, but I use it with freshmen. I'm thinking too, could you potentially get more complicated and use more than just two items? So you had your peanut butter M&Ms and your green olives. She picked green ones. Those are my favorite. So at lab days, I was like, I need them both. <laughs> yeah. But um, could you get, 
I don't know, four items so that kids start to have that dis I mean, maybe they could visually see it, that discussion. Maybe you put, I don't know, pretzels or, right. I mean, something else in there so they right. start so to have a discussion because at, at my table at Lab Days, Brianna does not like peanut butter. So she, I mean, I would have started with the M&Ms, but I definitely would have eaten the olives too. But our friend William would have eaten olives 100%. Brianna, I don't, you wouldn't have eaten anything. No, probably not. I'm usually pretty picky about everything. So, <laughs> so how could you, I guess, add more items and make it a little more complicated so they maybe can start to have a discussion of, well, if I was an animal, this, this is the order I would eat these. Right. Would that be done? Right. Yeah. As you advance through like your feeds, if you get into a really, um, a more advanced feeding unit, um, you can definitely um, work on balancing rations with more ingredients as well. Usually that involves some sort of like spreadsheet or, you know, more complicated math. Um, so as you advance with your students, I could definitely see that working. They would, you know, have to calculate it out using that as well. And then, yeah, for sure, the processing part of it's fun then too, because yeah, what order would you eat this in, um, you know, and that kind of stuff. And like I said, yeah, it does relate really well to students because, um, you know, everyone has their preferences of what they're going to eat and what they're not going to eat and those kinds of things. That's too why I also chose, to me anyway, a good food and a terrible food. Um, quotation marks there. Some people might disagree with me. Um, so you could pick any kinds of different foods. I usually go with some sort of candy and then like I thought about olives or like onions usually kids Sauerkraut. don't Sauerkraut. Oh my gosh that'd be disgusting. <clears throat> I mean there are very few kids that like sauerkraut. There's some people listening that are probably like what is sauerkraut? Right. People yeah. up here put it on hot dogs and various other things and they yeah. love it. No right. it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan either so um, but yeah, so I always try to choose some different items as well. And then as you get more into the advanced, if you wanted to do more ingredients, you could do, you know, any balancing number of things that, you know, don't match together. That'd be kind of fun. Well, and I like that you could modify it. So if you're, if you're doing this in an older, an upper level class, like 11th, 12th graders, you might want that ration to be more complex. So maybe you do have more items and I like how it can be simpler um as well I was just thinking it would be really cool you know a couple days beforehand to do like a this or that activity with your kids and it all be food related so then you would know kind of where your kids stand so you could really tailor it to the group you know or like would you would you rather eat an onion or an avocado uh, and then you could have candy ones so then you could maybe pick something that if the whole class is like oh my god avocados you bet I'm buying an avocado for this activity right right and I don't know if everyone else's school does this, does this but we do lunch counts as well and so like you know the days where they're like who wants lunch and they're like no <laughs> you could probably pick items from that day as well or like the days that are good like <laughs> let's mix I can't wait. Oh my. 
Oh my gosh. If you guys could see our faces right now. Did you say Chili Crispitos? My kids love Chili Crispitos. Yeah, that's the one they love. They oh, hate yes. But tuna. And can you imagine in that coffee grinder? Yeah. Uh, you just buy a new one. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of which, that's another thing. How much did you spend on this? Like, it's a pretty low-cost lab, right? Right. So um, I actually got a coffee grinder from our business teacher. She uh, quote unquote donated it to me. She was getting rid of it. So I took it. Um, so I have just a small coffee grinder and then um, M&Ms and olives at our local grocery store. So um, probably about 10 on the food, depending upon the size of your class and those kinds of things. And then um, I think you can get coffee grinders fairly inexpensively on Amazon and those kinds of things as well. So yeah, it's definitely not a, a high cost lab. Well, and one thing that I would consider is I, many chapters have social media accounts. And if your school has a newsletter, now is a great time to put something in the newsletter with a list of things that you're looking for. Because people have them. So throw coffee grinder on that list and you'd be surprised what you get because then that way maybe you end up with five and so every group can co combine there because how fun would that be when you say like okay you guys are all going to need this tool now you hand them all their coffee grinder and you force them to put it in there and mix it up themselves. Can you imagine their faces right as tuna and peanut butter M&Ms are mixing or whatever you choose. <laughs> Right. Getting a little sick thinking about it. But throw those things on there uh, and put that out because your community members have, have those things. So that's a good way to, to maybe get some donated. But they're also, I'm sure if you go on Amazon, pretty, pretty cheap as well. Right. And I have brought my own blender in to do it as well. So blenders work as well. So I know some people have some older ones sitting around or whatever. So that's another option too. Um, so blenders, coffee grinders, you, you get the point. Cool. Well, any other tips or tricks that you have for this lab or just general before, before we end our podcast? Um, I think for this lab, the, like I said, kind of the key is not having your blender or your coffee grinder showing right away, have that hidden um, that way it kind of builds some more anticipation. And then um, like at lab days, you guys saw when I brought the coffee grinder out, some of you were like, she brought the coffee grinder. We're going to do it. So it gets, um, it gets a little more exciting and you build a little more anticipation. Um, even though they're probably already excited because they're sitting there with 17 M&Ms in front of them or whatever candy as well. I love that. Well, uh, for those of you listening, You've probably already gone to the Google Drive, but if you haven't, go to the Google Drive because Whitney has shared this activity with us and you're going to be able to turn around and implement this immediately. If you're at a distance virtually, I feel like this can still be done. Uh, do it on camera. Maybe you have to buck up and taste it on camera for your kids because they would love that. But I think this can be easily modified in any situation you're looking at for the upcoming school year. Uh, like here by the owl podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you have guest suggestions or suggestions for future podcast episodes, feel free to message us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much, Whitney, for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs>